welcome to If Anyone Cares. My name is Jarla James. We are so thankful that you chose to listen to us at this particular moment over everyone else on the internet or television or radio, but mostly the internet. Internet has a lot of people on it now. Podcast is a very oversaturated market, but you chose to listen to us, and for that, I am very thankful. Today on the show, we have Rob Stone, a man who works for Fox, formerly of ESPN. He's been very kind to me over the last little over three years. And I asked him last week, hey, do you have some time to come on if anyone cares? And he said, yes, what time are you thinking? And that's just the kind of guy that Rob Stone is. He talked about during the show that he takes time for younger broadcasters and younger people in this industry to sit down and, and help them with stuff or do their show, and I have been a beneficiary of that. He's done my show twice. So to say it and then do it, maximum respect for Rob Stone. So excited that he was on the show. And shout out Rob Stone. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rob Stone on Fox. On Instagram, at Rob.Stone5. Man, what a show. I won't hold you back anymore. Usually I'd ramble for three minutes, but we're not going to do that today. You can find the show on the internet at if anyone cares underscore. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at IAC. The show is available on any platform and all platforms that you get your podcast. Uh, R&R is a show that I do with Ryan Wintel on the Dynamite Media Network. It's available on literally every podcasting platform known to man. You can follow Dynamite Media at Dynamite Media Network on Instagram. I think that's it. Let's just go to the show. Hey, hit the music. On the line outside of Los Angeles, California, is a man who's a longtime employee for ESPN and now he works for Fox. He's covered darts, horse racing, bowling, Major League Baseball, college basketball, college football, soccer, a Colgate University alum, and second all-time leader in assists for the Raiders soccer program, and a ham bone enthusiast, and a person I met when I was 16 years old in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, from Simsbury, <laughs> Connecticut, Mr. Rob Stone. Rob, how are we doing? That's a good intro, man. That's a good intro. You were 16 that, that day at Bobby Dodd Stadium, you, me, and Alexi Lawless, right? That is that is true. I still have that selfie on my phone. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was th- over, over three years ago now. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Just turned 20. So we're we're still pretty young over here. You're all grown now. You're all grown up. Your your age starts with a two. That, that right. means there's different requirements of you now. Yeah, it's less impressive when I do things now. So it's great. Um, <laughs> no, I, I wanted to have you on because one, you you haven't been on one of my shows in a while. Last time I interviewed you was about uh, your whole American soccer story, but this time's a little bit different, and I want to kind of get to the bottom of this whole COVID era on television, but also kind of get to know you a little bit. So we'll start with a Wikipedia page. One, have you read it? Your own Wikipedia page. No. Two, is it accurate? I don't, I don't mess with that stuff. Uh, the, the, the less you get involved with things like that, um, the better your chances are of avoiding any type of issues or controversy or stuff you don't even need to deal with. So 
No, I don't, I don't know what Wikipedia has to say about me. Um, I don't care a ton uh, unless there's something really egregious out there that uh, I should probably be aware of. I, I hope that's not the case. You can fill me in. Is there is there a problem out there? No, it. I mean, it says... It says something about the second all-time leading assister in Colgate soccer history. Yeah, I don't even know. I think that's correct. <laughs> I don't know. I got bigger <laughs> issues to, to to deal with and worrying about my past collegiate soccer history. But uh, I, I know at some point that was true, and, and there's a decent chance, I guess, that it still is. Uh, Simsbury, Connecticut, is that right? Did I get that right? You got that one right. That one's correct, Wikipedia. One for you, Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, so my whole thing is you're the second person I've had on the show with a Wikipedia page. And I just want to know how I get one because I feel like that's the, the moment you've made it. No, I don't think it is. Um, I, I guess I could understand why you would think that, but, um, I think the moment you make it is, is the moment when you feel you've made it. I don't think you need the validation of followers on Twitter or Instagram or, or a Wikipedia page. I think it's just, hey, when you know you've done some good work and you've been recognized by people that you you trust and, and you value, and, and to me, that's that's when you've made it. Um, and again, I was trying to make it in a in a different time, not when um, all the social media and everything was around. So there was there was no outside influences with that stuff. Uh, I could just kind of focus on doing my job and making sure my bosses were happy and that other people would hopefully want to employ me at some point. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a different age, right? It's, and it's even a different age from, you know, last October to where we are right now with so much that has changed. And I kind of want to lead into that. Uh, you started working in, in television and in reporting in 1992 Obviously, we are in a much different age now. And like you said, from last October to where we are at this point, um, this new era of COVID television where everything's kind of getting back into production, things are happening live on location at places. You were in Columbus, Ohio this past weekend covering college football. Uh, What is the the protocol? What is the steps you have to go through to be on uh, a set live on location now? Yeah, it's frankly, it's not that much different than being live on set at our studio in Los Angeles. Um, you know, a typical week just with football in mind. I, I did soccer last night, but with football in mind, you know, we have meetings uh, and, and we take some elements Friday afternoon. So Friday morning, we will all come in at a staggered time, meaning, you know, myself, Brady, Reggie, Matt, Urban, and we will take a, a COVID test and then we will kind of self-quarantine and wait to get the results. And if everything's clear, boom, we get on with our day and get dressed and um, go into our meeting room and kind of fully flesh out what our two-hour show and the rest of our day is going to be. And granted, that week has started on Monday. You know, we had a, a noon Pacific call where we, we flesh out our ideas and our topics and our games and things we want to hit, things we like, things we're not passionate about. And then we kind of work throughout the week with you know an idea here or there that gets dropped in. Um, and then Fridays where we kind of finalize stuff. So it's basically just waiting on the test. There's less people involved. There's less interaction, sadly, face-to-face um, with some of the people that, that we used to deal with because we're just trying to limit the numbers uh, of people that are either A, in the building, or B, 
um, cross pollinating with one another. So we kind of have our own, our own wolf pack, so to speak. And we kind of roam, um, together and, and avoid softly others. And, and, and the same goes for, you know, other groups of people, but it's, it's the new world order. It's, it didn't take that much getting used to, to be honest with you. Uh, but you know, one of the great things about our business is the camaraderie and the fellowship and the working together. Um, and some of that has been lost, not with the core group of guys, you know, that I work soccer or basketball or football with, but you know, some of the behind the scenes people that we really love spending time with and, and interacting with. And that has been curtailed a little bit. Um, but otherwise it's, it's pretty close now that we figured figured out you know kind of the recipe that it's it's business it's pretty much business as usual to be honest with you so what was the adjustment period of like because there was a time where there wasn't a lot of sports on television college football hadn't started yet those first couple of weeks was it clunky was it awkward coming into the building what was the the initial stage like yeah well the initial stage was still not coming into the building you know i exited the building day two of the Big East basketball tournament and we did a pregame show and we got it to halftime and in between the end of the half and the start of our halftime show, they basically canceled the Big East tournament. And, you know, our bosses that were on duty at that point came in and said, everybody go home, you know, we'll be in touch. <laughs> you know, we're going to figure things out. And that was, you know, that was March. Um, and then there was just kind of this, this down period of everybody trying to figure out you know, what kind of, programming can we actually provide what is safe um how do we do it what's what's gonna resonate with the viewers and so a lot of that was um you know video games right was was watching you know nascar video and um fifa videos and making shows around that and then it became the kind of these ad hoc studio shows from home and we had a show called indoor soccer and then we did big noon kickoff, but we did it all from home and we did it once a week and we would have a guest and we talk about the football topics and things like that. So that just kind of lowered everybody's production expectations, you know, cause it was really, it was really kind of organic. It was almost, you know, like, um, uh, Bill and not Bill and Ted, uh, Wayne's world, you know, down in your basement, finding a little pocket of space that was quiet, hoping you had enough Wi-Fi signal, hoping you had enough proper light and, you know, setting up your laptop with hopefully an HD camera and the audio worked and the call-ins would work. And, you know, we just, we just did it. It, it felt very, you know, kind of like community access television, to be honest. And we were putting it on and we just, we wanted to be a part, you know, we, we all care about our jobs and love our jobs so much that we just wanted to contribute any way we could. And we were pushing ideas. And then, it finally got to that point where like, okay, we're going to come into the office for MLS's back tournament. And, and we didn't really know what that meant. And it was bare bone crew. There was uh, no testing at that point, really. Um, you know, there was masks. We just kept everything to a minimum and we just got by, you know, it was basically just getting by with what we could and things that we could have asked for in the past, as far as, behind the scenes elements, uh, it just couldn't be done because we didn't have the people coming in. Um, and then things started ramping up with, all right, now we're going to start doing testing and now we can get a few more people in, but we're still going to be really particular. And, um, it, it was different and it seems so long ago because I'm, I'm sitting in my basement right now talking to you and I'm looking at 
some of the pieces around my room that, you know, were, were an everyday element for me of, of creating content for Fox Sports. And and now, you know, it's so happy when we got that first drive back onto the lot of Lexi Lawless and I carpooling and just being on the road and, and communicating with another human besides someone in your house and just this exuberance of, of sports are back and, and how happy we were to do double headers, you know, from the MLS's back tournament. Um, you know, it just gave us all that sense that things are, are, are slowly returning and it's still, it, it's still coming back. You know, it's still definitely not the same on the Fox lot, but I think every day I come back, I, I get another little taste of, Oh, okay, good. This is, this is now open. Or we now have access to this and this is good. Everything is so safe and um, there's tons of protocols in place, but you do see just a little bit more opening um, like traffic. <laughs> The one thing I didn't miss, um, but the traffic is starting to come back in, in L.A. And there's moments where you're sad and then moments you're like, oh, all right. Some normalcy is coming back. <laughs> People are out on the road and having to go places and do things because things are open. So you talked about this whole, you know, getting into the groove, getting accustomed to this new working from home and then coming back to the building along with the traffic. How big was the morale boost when you actually got to go to Columbus this past weekend? Um, you know, for me and Matt and Reggie, it was bigger than probably for Urban and Brady because they travel every weekend. So, you know, they got that first taste of euphoria when they made that first road trip out to L.A. and, and our show was actually on, even though, you know, we had limited football on the backside. You know, for the three of us based in L.A., I think it was kind of that that first that, that dipping your toes in the water and, and swimming and getting out and saying, I didn't drown, you know, like, Hey, this can be done. It's okay. You know, to our wife and our kids and our family that we can travel and we can go to a hotel and get in a rental car and an airplane and do our job and come back and it can be managed and it can be done safely. And, and that was, that was kind of the encouraging thing for me. Um, I was ready. I was ready to go. You know, our, our plan was definitely to take this show on the road more than, than we are this year. Um, and I, I give our leadership a ton of credit for announcing a couple of weeks, like, Hey guys, we're back. We're going, um, we're not going to sit, uh, we're going to do it safely, but we're not going to sit by the wayside anymore and we're going to attack. So, um, it was a good boost, you know, and I think probably the bigger boost was the fact that the big 10 was back, you know, that's kind of our, our football conference along with the big 12 and, and the Pac 12, but the big 10 is just so meaty. Um, and, and that kind of announced our return, our presence, uh, more than us just traveling, you know, just being able to talk about Big Ten football that was going to happen or has happened. That was that was that moment where we just kind of smiled and like, wow, we, we can actually talk about these guys and the content and what it means. And um, you could notice the, the little hop in everybody's step. You know, Urban's smile was a little bit bigger and brighter this week when he could actually talk about, you know, the Big Ten and the Ohio State. So I'm going to nerd out a little bit. At the end of shows, you throw it to Gus Johnson, who is probably the most electrifying college football announcer, or really just broadcaster in American sports. What is it like to throw it to Gus, and has he given you a nickname yet? Um, I have just such great appreciation um, and, and a friendship with Gus. I just love being in his presence and you know, we, we both have pretty similar energy levels, so that works. And, and the fact we both work on college basketball and football, so we've got a ton of interaction. 
not so much face to face, but at least, you know, ear to ear. Um, it's always great to see him. You know, it's, it's a big hug. It's a laugh. We talk about some things. Um, and I, I love, you know, he's Fox, you know, he and I are kind of Fox. We've got this energy and, and the way we approach things, it's, it's not dour. It's not a downer. Um, it's upbeat and it's optimistic while also telling you the truth and the fact. And, um, he gives me a little kick when I send it to him. And I also, you know, I come in with a little extra, extra juice thrown it to him because <laughs> I know he can handle it. And I know, I know he wants to attack it. Right. Uh, so, you know, we want to keep that adrenaline level going back and forth. I feel like a few years ago he had a nickname for me, uh, and it was early on in either college basketball or college football where he would say something, but you know, now it's, it's probably just a stoner or, you know, my man or whatever that is. So he's funny with his nicknames, you know, Mikey rule books and, uh, the all American girl, they, they all just kind of come naturally which is I, what I love, you know, Hollywood Brown, you know, being from Hollywood, Florida, and just barking them out as Hollywood. It's, it's great. You know, none of that stuff is really planned. And, and that's the beauty of good nicknames and, and good content is um, in my younger years, I used to write down some phrases like, oh, hey, when this happens, this, this would be smart to say or whatever. And now I, I get away from it. It's just, you know, you want to be in the moment and what your, your actual reaction is to everything, uh, and, and the audience knows, they're so smart, they know when something is, is faked and, and not pure, and, and and just not maybe as legitimate, you know, I we have Michigan, Michigan State this week on, on Fox, and Sean McDonough is a longtime friend and colleague of mine, and we worked together for years, and if you're doing Michigan, Michigan State, you know, at some point, you know, you're going to come up uh, with that with that crazy finish in Ann Arbor where Michigan state remained unbeaten on that last play of the game with the Bosch punt. And, you know, I, I reflect back, you know, Sean's words of, you know, Whoa, he, he has trouble with the snap. You know, that just reverberates. That's nothing that he had planned. That's just his eyes seeing something going to the brain and then going to the mouth and barking out these words. You know, there was no pre-planning at all for that moment. You couldn't. And, the pure reaction of, of those those words at that moment kind of resonate to me, particularly this week, about the authenticity of, of a good broadcaster. And, and Gus has it, you know. And I think Gus is really smart, too, because he, he has learned how – I shouldn't say learned. He, he manages his preparation in a way uh, that is envious to me. He doesn't overload himself. But he's got everything he needs, if that makes sense. You know, when I first started doing play-by-play football, I had notebooks filled and, and charts crammed with so much information that I couldn't even read it. It was so small, and I was trying to get everything in. But in the end, you know, some of that stuff is great, but most of it is just left on the cutting room floor. And in the end, what the audience really wants is just that, that, that give me that knowledge, give me that intelligence, give me what is happening, why it's happening, and then give me that pure energy uh, and reaction. And that's what Gus has. He, he doesn't have um, a, a booth that's overfilled with facts and numbers and one-liners. Uh, he's got the necessities, and then he's got himself, and that's all you need. You've worked with so many different people, like Gus Johnson, like Reggie Bush, Matt Leonard, Urban Meyer. But shifting sports all the time with bowling and, and college basketball and, and college football and soccer, you, you interact with so many different people. What is the key to 
maintaining all of those relationships, all of those, you know, working together type of things. What what is the way, best way for you to keep all that in line? Yeah, well, number one is you have to earn their trust. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are former athletes, and and they're they're guarded by nature. So you have to you know prove to them that you're worthy and you're trustworthy. Um, and that you want what is best for them. You know, in the end, that's my job as host is to make these guys and, and women look and sound as as good as they possibly can. And if they have a great show, it reflects on me. Um, so once you get that trust, then it's that camaraderie and that comfortability. So you know, I've got I've got numerous text chains, right? I've got a football text chain. I've got a soccer text chain. I've got a bowling text chain. I've got a basketball text chain where it's just kind of all of us, kind of the core group. And we interact throughout the year. Um, you know, obviously during football season, you know, my, my big noon text chain is pretty full. And, you know, I can walk away and I'll come back and I'm like, why do I have 35 texts? Like, what just happened? And it's just a stream of maybe, you know, one news story that happened or one quick take and everybody chiming in, this and that. So that is the thing that I found through the years uh, is a great way of, of maintaining that relationship that you've already built um, and just kind of continuing it. So rather than having to start from scratch every season, um, you essentially just maintain it through the year. You don't want to do a full renovation of the house, right? You'd rather just pick up a few little things and, and maybe put on a, you know, a, a coat of paint somewhere here or clean the floors a little bit harder rather than having to break down walls and change out windows. So just getting that trust early on uh, and keeping it going throughout the year, I, I found is, is probably the best thing to keep it going. I just marvel at you, how you go. Like you said, you, you did soccer last night for MLS. And then switching back over to college football again on Saturday, I just marvel at how you go from sport to sport because you were it's, – But it's what I want, you know, and I shouldn't say it's what I want. It's what I'm lucky enough to have, have earned, and, and I like the variety. That's what keeps me going um, is I, I love the fact that I can – that I'm allowed to pivot from a sport to a sport to a sport. It keeps me fresher. Um, you know, I've said this before. If, if I had to do soccer 365, um, I, I would probably hit a fatigue factor at some point. I just kind of get burned out by it. But knowing that, oh, here's football coming up on the horizon, and I get to see this group of people again, gets me excited. And then, you know, here we are almost in November, and I know college hoops is right around the corner. And, you know, the Big East came out with their preseason rankings and their, you know, player of the year, their all-conference preseason collection. And I'm jacked up for college hoops now, you know, and, and I miss my bowling family a ton. So I'm, I'm keep waiting and waiting for that opportunity where I get to go back and, and join them. So all of those things, in a very selfish way, serve me a great purpose. Um, it keeps me fresh. It keeps me energized. Um, and that's what I love. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and, and I frankly think that a majority of the broadcasters in my role would, would say the same thing. You know, it's tougher for, you know, Matt Leinert or Alexi Lawless to do crossover. They are their sport, right? Lexi, you stay in your lane with soccer and go. Um, ditto with all the other people that I work with. And that's fine because that's their wheelhouse. And, and it has been for years, but, for me, um, you know, I, I think variety suits suits my skill set best. I just, like I said, I just marvel at it. You just go from sport to sport with with preparation and, and all these different things. Kind of going off the whole balance thing, preparation is a very large thing in, in our business. How do you keep your your mind on track to prepare for the next thing you have to do? Whether it's soccer, yeah. whether it's bowling, whether it's college football, college basketball. It, it, it kind of goes back to, to building a pyramid. 
Um, as long you always got to create that good base, and then you can just kind of maintain it through through the week. So as long as you know what's going on with college football heading into the season, what the big storylines are and the topics and the concerns and the question marks and the exclamation points, then you just kind of keep adding to it every week. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a little old schooly, uh, and I, I just because I just find that's what works best for me. So I'm looking at it. I'm touching it right now. I've, I've got a college football notebook. Just to, just to Joe Blow, go to Target, get your note, notebook before school season. Um, and it's just labeled college football, and I just keep adding to it. So I'll go week by week in, in the games that we have, and I'll just add to it. So I'll leave a couple blank sheets for little nuggets that I pull out from Saturday through Friday, whether it's a quote or a cool stat that I stumbled on um, you know, or something about the AP poll. And I can always just flip back a page or two and go, oh, I know I got something – I know it, like right now, let's see, I'm flipping back. Uh, all right, here's something Michigan. Roman Wilson, um, there was something Bruce Feldman said about him last week that I want to make sure I bring up to Urban this week, all right? So I've got that. I got this Texas Tech punter, and we have a Texas Tech game this week who had an 87-yard punt last week. Hmm, maybe that's something we can get into the game. Um, I've got Tuesday, Noah Kane, Penn State, out for the season, running back, injured. So, you know, already without Journey Brown, so now it's Devin Ford. So I kind of go day by day and, and elements that I have, and I can just flick back to it. Um, also, my brain, because I write it down, I know, I know I got something through the course of those long days. Like this Saturday, we're in at 5 a.m., and we'll be done sometime past 7 p.m. And at some point, the brain can get a little mushy, but it's always strong enough to remember, oh, I know I wrote something down about – Oklahoma, there they are, unranked, back after three weeks uh, out of the top 25. So I just kind of keep these little cheat sheets in a very softly organized um, notepad. And I do it for soccer. Uh, I do it for basketball. I've got my own section for bowling. So I've always kind of got that base of the pyramid, and then I just kind of add to it week by week. I got to experience – I was 17 by this point, but it was still – uh, very young in my career. Uh, you did a Western Conference final in Houston. It was, it was the first leg between Houston and Seattle. And I got to walk over there and talk to you, Alexi, and Katie. Uh, and Romel Cuioto went down with an injury in warmups. And I vaguely remember a book being tossed out at one point and you talking to the microphone and kind of scribbling something down. It, would you say that's probably accurate? Well, yeah. I mean, things happen all the time. I, I actually, it's, it's cool that you bring that up because I don't 100% remember that moment, but the concept is something that I've long been a believer in, and it goes back to my sideline reporting days, which really you know, kind of launched me into this, this industry at, at ESPN back in the, when was it, mid-90s, mid late-90s, and you know, the sideline reporter's job is to be the eyes and the ears out on the field of what's going on because people up in the booth and producers in the truck and directors in the truck, they miss a lot of stuff. And I took that, that role really seriously. And some of the best content we ever got um, was things that took place in pregame, whether it was obviously an injury or somebody comes up a little lame and you're like, oh, my God, something's happening. Hey, guys, near side 20-yard line, please shoot you know, running back number 32, he's on the 20s, on the 15s, on the 10. I'm giving them the play-by-play, and the cameraman will zip in there and record it, and next thing you know, there's your lead story. 
um, or, or an interaction or uh, a dust-up or a weird ritual that happened. The best content we've ever gotten, the, the stuff that we're really proud of and we pat ourselves on the back, is the stuff that happens just before we're actually on the air. And whenever I'm down on that field, I'm always scanning. You know, I'm not just sitting there looking in my mirror, making sure I'm not too shiny and I don't have a hair out of place. It's scanning that field um, and watching coaches and watching interaction, particularly if there's a guy who's on a hot streak or, or in a drought. You know, I want to I wanna watch them. Um, if there's an element of the game that we've been tipped off to that is, is a focus, good or bad, I want to see as much as I can how that plays out pregame through warmups, and it, it it turns into fantastic content. So um, I don't know what the book was. It probably was my my big notepad cheat sheet of just a ton of info about what's going on and, and what that means. But you know, you're you're always kind of on, you know. And um, it's whenever you're caught napping is when you're caught napping. <laughs> so you're taking a little mental. A mental break is usually when something happens and, and you just can't afford it uh, you know, when you're on the site till when you're off the air. FYI, you're, you're never too shiny and you never have a hair out of place on television. I do, I do. <laughs> My T-zone is very shiny. Uh, I, I got a few more things and we'll, we'll let you get out of here. Um, you created a bowling term and that is so remarkable. In so many ways, that bowling's been around for a very long time, and you created ham bone for four strikes in a row. Can you talk about the story in which this happened? Yeah, it was, you know, it, it was kind of my first dabble, and I hadn't met Gus Johnson yet. But it was the first time I kind of really attacked a job in a, in a Gus Johnson manner, where I said, "I'm not going to stress myself out about this. I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to have." all my research and content in place, but when I'm tired and I need to go to bed and I feel like I'm full, I'm done. I'm not going to stress out about this. And, and I say that, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way to, to bowling, but when, when bowling was essentially pushed to me, it was given to me as an opportunity, but it was pushed on me. I was in, I was in no way, shape or form ready for it. Um, I had a newborn. I had twins on the way. I was traveling nonstop between soccer and football, and they essentially dumped a sport onto me with about two weeks' notice that I had no knowledge of. I mean, I knew nothing. I didn't know anybody who bowled. I didn't know any of the people behind the scenes. I didn't know storylines. I didn't know strat. I knew nothing. And I, frankly, it was really the only time in my career where I was I was. I was down on being given an opportunity in a job. I never say no. Uh, but that was the one time where I, without saying no, boy, I was saying no, right? And and they said, great, go get it. So I made this pledge to myself that I'm not going to stress out about it. I got too much going on. I'll do a great job. And you know what? If they take it away from me, they take it away from me, right? And there are so many times in life that I have found, and this is not just work, that when you go in with that attitude, not a whatever flippant attitude, but hey, what happens, happens. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm going to be loose. I'm going to be comfortable. And I have no expectations. You end up doing your best work. And that's really what happened for me in bowling is that I, I refused to take myself to a place that I normally had taken myself for other preparation. And I went in with just this looser, 
more open canvas to do my job and ask questions and, and shut up and be quiet because I didn't know this stuff. Um, and it turned out, it turned out fantastic. You know, I had an immediate bond with my partner and you would know, go back to asking questions. I was just a viewer. You know, I was like, I don't know what this is. So I'm going to ask in the middle of a broadcast. And, you know, I, I knew the term for three strikes in a row as a turkey. And so innocently, you know, on the air, I was like, well, what's the term? Sorry, for four in a row. And he said, there isn't one. And I just, again, off the top of my head, doing Gus Johnson, Hollywood, you know, I was like, all right, it's Hambone. And I had Hambone on my mind for an- another reason, but it was just that term was in my brain at that moment in my life. And I just said, all right, four in a row is a Hambone. It's a stupid word, right? Like if you're going to call three strikes in a row a turkey, <laughs> You know, there is a story behind why it's called a turkey, but it's not what you one would think. So ham bone sounds like part of the next, you know, the next step, right? You go from turkey to a ham bone, right? It makes perfect, stupid sense at the same time. So I just kind of railroaded that through. And the production people and and Randy Peterson, the Hall of Fame, who I work with, we all kind of had this smile about ham bone because it was a total inside joke. And we just loved saying it. And for a moment, we kind of loved annoying a certain part of the pop the bowling population that that hated it but uh, at least like in wrestling terms i was getting a reaction right we were triggering somebody um it was kind of that heel moment in bowling uh where some people love the heel right and get excited and, and others hate it but regardless it was creating some noise um we kept it going we kept it going um and then one week um my producer kind of pulled me aside literally probably an hour and a half before the show. And he said, Hey, do you mind slowing down on the hand bone thing? We're getting some negative pushback from some people, right? We'll just call it that. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure it was just from some veteran bowlers who didn't like the term. Right. And I said, that's fine. You know, I, I'm not here to demean these athletes and what they do. If this is something that's actually getting in the way, of them and broadcast, fine, no big deal. Because, again, I wasn't going to allow myself to stress out about anything in bowling. Um, but as, literally as soon as he finished his, his sentence of, you know, can we slow down on the hand bone, they let all the fans into the bowling center to take their seats. And it was a rush of humans, and a majority of them had hand bone signs and were yelling <laughs> hand bone at me. And I smiled and I just kind of looked at my producer and I was like, yeah, we're not going to do that this week. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was that moment of, you know, it finally, is it, is it gained some form of traction through, you know, the, the stupidity of the call, but people enjoyed it and they also hated it. And that's perfect. And again, I'm a pro wrestling nerd, but that's exactly what you want. You know, Vince McMahon would be like, are you telling me when this, when this entertainer comes out, I can get half the place booing and half the place cheering, that is, you know, that's euphoric. That is 100% what you want. And we finally had some energy in bowling. And that's what I always wanted. Uh, you know, I, every sport deserves energy. And, and bowling was still kind of caught in this golf world. And this, the stupidity of the handbone call just kind of triggered people. And it triggered me and it triggered the audience. And it was fun. So we just 
kept it going. And, you know, I would, this was when we were going live, like every week to a different city. And I'd be like, Wichita, next week we're coming to you. Here's my pledge. You get us, you have a hand bone sign. I'm getting you on television. That is my pledge to you. And it was, it was a hundred percent legit because the crowds weren't huge. They were packed, but they weren't huge. And if you brought in a hand bone sign, we saw it. And we would, we would tell our cameras, go get one. There's a great one over there in the third row, whatever. So then it, it started growing more where people were like, I'm going to get my face on television by bringing this hand bone sign. And some of them were negative hand bone signs. And I didn't <laughs> care. I loved it. Um, I say it a lot less now, but it's still obviously a, a part of, of me in, in the bowling broadcast. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of trippy that it's, it's part of the lexicon now where there are certain bowlers – who know they're sitting on a ham bone and when they hit it and they're in a proper mood at a proper time in the match, they will hundred percent reference it. You know, um, I've got a, I'd like to think a pretty good rapport with these guys and, um, it's to the point now where we can have fun with it back and forth, which I think is, is just really unique and, and really cool. Didn't Pete Weber do it to you? Was that Pete Weber? Yeah. Yeah. That was the big one. That was, yeah. <laughs> Petey Dub. And he, and, and again, it was, He's a guy that I clicked with immediately because, you know, he's kind of that bad boy. He wears the black hat, that black cowboy hat walking into town, you know, with the, you know, and he's ready to start gunslinging people. Uh, and I love that about him. You know, he and he was he was a classic example of some people loved him, some people hated him. And for that, I embraced him. And so we had the same mentality that, you know, bowling should not be boring. Let's bring some energy. Let's bring some pop. And he did it all the time. And he dropped that ham bone and then, you know, barked at me, you know, because we were probably 20 yards away. He barked at me and gave me that, that, um, the crotch shot, you know, courtesy of the old degeneration X. Um, it, it just, it lit me, it lit me, it let him, the crowd was going nuts. It was just so surreal that this was happening and it was one of those moments that was borderline out of body for me because i just i lost my mind temporarily because i thought it was so cool that he was matching my energy and calling my tail out and barking at me in a good way there's some people out there who i think still think it was kind of a negative um but they're 100 wrong it was it was a positive of like you and me are in the same boat brother let's go let's go get it it's it's one of the best things about our business. I know you have a lot more experience than I do, but you pissing off an entire group of purists, quote unquote, and I'll say yeah. it so you don't have to, but you pissed off an entire group of, of old school bowlers with this new term and you have one of the, the legends of the sport barking at you from across the across the lanes about how he and, just and, had a handball. That's, that's great. Something I, that's something I wouldn't have done with my college football work or my soccer work. Again, it was, I had a, just a different mindset with bowling where I'm just, it's going to be a little more like, I don't care. You know, like fire me. That's fine. Not fire me, but take <laughs> me off this, take me off this project. Right. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in over my head as it is. My workload, my travel load, my life load was just getting crushed. Um, and I've had that in sports too. I, I vividly, you know, not, to, I'm sorry to di digress, but I, I, I vividly remember a soccer tournament I had, I think it was after my freshman year in college and we went and it was a great tournament. It was loaded with teams and my team was not loaded by no chance. Like, like some of the best dudes in my town weren't playing and it was me and my best buddy were by far the best two players on our team. And we were just kind of like, whatever, let's go have fun. Right. 
and we balled out, man. And we we just took so much on our shoulders and had a blast. Ended up winning this tournament, and we had no reason to do it because we just went in with this lowered expectation of screw it, let's just go enjoy it, let's go have fun. And that's kind of been bowling for me. And and to a point, it is with with Big Moon Saturday. Um, look, I study my ass off for this. There's there's nothing that is that is left to chance on that show. But there's so much more room now that we've gone to two hours where we can be more creative. We can have more improv type moments where we can pivot um, in a heartbeat, whether it's a tweet or a warm up shot or something somebody says. We've got this this bandwidth now um, compared to just that one hour show last year that we can really attack some things. Um, and I just I, th- I think it's made us stronger and stronger in this this Saturday morning college football pregame fight. You, you use that word attack a few times. Um, is that more of your mindset going forward? Is you're just going to attack this job? Because you mentioned Gus Johnson does that with broadcast, and you started doing it with bowling. Is that something you're going to keep doing going forward? I, I think you have to. I think you have to attack anything in life. Um, you know, and again, I go back to these wrestling metaphors, which is so bizarre. Um, again, I, I love pro wrestling. It cracks me up. I watch it as a little kid. And, you know, there's there's the famous quote from Ric Flair, you know, um, to, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I go into my job, as stupid as this sounds, with this belief that I've got this imaginary belt wrapped around my waist, right? Whether it's the intercontinental or the WWE belt or whatever it is, I'm, I'm the man. I got the belt. I got this job that people want, and you're going to have to beat me. You're going to have to take this belt away from me. You're going to have to pin me. Um, and I go in every week saying, I got the belt. I'm the, I'm the champ again. Come take it off me. And that, that's not an arrogant thing. It's just it, it's this it's this knowledge and acceptance of how fortunate I am to have this job and how much I absolutely love it. And I don't want to give it up. And I spend a lot of time helping other people in this industry, whether it's my peers or or young people trying to come up. Um, and I give them a a lot of insight and I give them a lot of time. Um, but just know, you know, if you're, if you're coming for the King, if you're taking a shot at me, you best not miss. Um, cause I have no intention of, of giving up this job. I, that I absolutely um, adore. So yeah, I come in. I come in for battle, but I come in for battle, not throwing darts and swinging swords, but you know, um, with some with some humor and a little fact or a little quote or a little something up my sleeve that maybe only myself and my producer know about, and and Urban and, and Matt have no clue. Or I've got this funny little thing about Reggie um, that he has no idea is coming, but I do. Um, and that's what I mean about, you know, coming to battle and, and being properly armed. You mentioned advice. You, you give a lot of advice to young broadcasters, including myself. Um, what is your advice for broadcasters coming up? Especially now with the, the whole COVID yeah, pandemic. The, the COVID advice I haven't quite figured out because <laughs> I, I just don't know, you know, the access for young people to try and get jobs now and, and get their foot in and how to grow. Um, but my general advice is, you know, if you want to be, you know, in front of a camera behind a microphone is, is repetition, get as many reps as you can do whatever you can do. What's asked of you do it, do it, do it, do it. And then watch it, listen back to it almost immediately. Those are the two biggest things that, that will help somebody's career. 
um, it's, it's self-scouting is basically what it is. And, and I've done it my whole life. Um, and the reason I say you need to do it is because mom and dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, significant other, whoever, grandma, grandpa will tell you, oh, my God, it's so good. It sounded so <laughs> fantastic. You looked great. The content was awesome. Oh, what a treat. That's their job. Your job is to really properly critique you. And no one will know your stuff better than you. You will hear things, you will see things that normal people will miss. And you will catch yourself going, oh, that was bad. Or, wow, that was great. Ooh, I love that that shirt or that color. Ooh, don't wear that again. Too much energy, not enough energy. Um, and then the, the second thing is you'll do something right now. Like, you're going to listen back to this later this week. You're going to be like, that was good, man. That was good. You're going to listen back to this interview in a month and you go, man, I should have done this different. I, I should have come in with more... I don't know, authority or more power. Oh, that question should have been shorter. Oh, that question was awesome. You know, how I did it. I need to remember to keep asking questions like that. Um, so it's just repetition and self-scout. Those are, the, to me, those are the two biggest things that can help anybody. And that's not just somebody coming up. I, I still do it. You know, I, um, you know, when this is done, I'm going to go back and watch last night's uh, MLS pregame show and, and judge how I did and how I, I helped everybody else do do their job and, and see if there's some takeaways that I can take. And that doesn't just stay in the soccer world. A lot of the stuff I use in football world, I use in the soccer world and vice versa or elements that we've done that were successful for bowling. I say, well, let's try it in basketball. And um, they, they all kind of come together in one kumbaya moment. But the big takeaway, repetition and self-scout. I listened back to the interview that you and I did when I was like 17, 18 uh, just this past week, and I emailed you about doing this, and that was that was not good for me. <laughs> Two years later, the the knowledge that I have now going to Full Sail University and, and, and right, like, right, like, like you said, but you don't know that until you're doing it, until you have those repetitions right. where you can go, oh, oh yeah, I totally could have done this better. Oh, I get it. You know, let's tighten up the question. Let's let's actually, you know, the big thing too with with what you're doing right now is is listening. Um, and I know a lot of young people, I, I did something yesterday with a young man at, at Purdue university and, and he had like a list of questions and we did it over, over zoom. And I could see him looking at the questions and, and a lot of them were, um, given to him by the professor. Like, these are questions I have to ask you. And I said to him, I'm like, I want more questions from you. You know, I, I don't want to hear what the professor says, like, what's your name? What's your occupation? Like, that's BS. You, you should have that. That's a waste of time. You should get right in. Um, talk about knowledge. Talk about a story. Talk about experience. I, I want to hear what you really want to hear from me. Um, and, and you get that by listening. Yes, you're prepared. You know, you've done some research like, hey, I want to hear about the handbone story. Or, you know, or I want to hear about the trip to Columbus. That's you doing your research. But also, it's, it's important to listen to what your, your guest is saying because a lot of times they'll – They'll kind of tease you with something, but maybe not follow up. And you go, wait a second, that's really interesting. I bet there's more to it. Let me follow up on that. And you only get that by actually listening and not looking down at your cheat sheet. Right. And that's something I've tried to work on over the course of my uh, various interviews that I've done over the last four years. That's a long time. Four years. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same thing Alexi Lala said to me when he came on this show, and John Strong said to me when he came on this show. It's about listening and and being better at follow up questions. And frankly, I, I mean, I I can't tell you 
how I've been doing over the last couple of shows, just it's, because it's, it's, it's hard really to evaluate. Tough, it's a really tough skill. Um, I, I, I feel like I still struggle with it. And it's, it's funny because I, I went to kind of a quote unquote, another school of, of, you know, interviewing and asking questions because I'm under a time constraint, right? You know, when I was doing sideline reporting and I, and I went through kind of Q and a one one um, you know, I knew that I only had one question, maybe two questions max, and it had to be efficient, and I had to get the intel that I needed. So it's very much, as all questions should be, who, what, where, when, why, how, right? That was my job. But I, I, I listened to my friend Bill Simmons on his podcast, and he's got, you know, obviously a much, a much bigger field that he can fill out. And he doesn't always ask that type of question, and, and he goes about it in a different way. And and I love how he asks the questions because he gets great responses. And look, some of it is just out of pure respect between himself and the person he's interviewing and vice versa. You know, Bill is on a, on a different level. Um, but I listen to it. I get jealous sometimes because I'm like, wow, Bill was so great at getting this element out of this A-list celebrity, whether it's a Hollywood or an entertainer or a musician or, or an athlete. And, and I always admire and I'm, I'm always um, – so proud at how he's able to do that. And I probably send him a note like once a month, like, man, that, that Julian Lee Dreyfus interview was so awesome. You know, it sounded like you guys were friends forever. And she opened up about these things and that's really hard to do. Um, and it's, it's softly easier in a bigger format than, you know, a, Hey, you've got a minute and a half, two minutes, maybe 30 seconds to get that type of, of reaction out of a human being. But, um, Bill does a really, really good job with those type of interviews. And those are things that I try to replicate in the brief moments that I'm allowed that type of time or that type of, um, to have that type of moment. You, you say that, and I, I'm curious, cause I know Alexi has, uh, his various podcasts that he's done. Is there a Rob Stone podcast coming out anytime no. soon where it's long form interviews where you can get that type of reaction? Yeah, there's, I don't know. I have no plans for it. I'm loaded, man. I'm, I'm, I'm at the brim. Um, I'm trying to break some news, Rob. Yeah, podcasts just aren't my, my jam, to be honest with you. Um, Alexi's so good at it because he's got this internal debate mechanism. And he's, he's really good at seeing kind of both sides and, and instigating and understanding you're going to go that way. I can go this way just as easily and really believe it. Um, I'm not built that way. You know, I'm very much more of kind of a, I want to smile, I want to laugh, and, and I want to get the facts type thing. Not that he doesn't. Um, we're just, we're two different people that actually have a ton of similarities. Um, he's built for that. Uh, I just am not. Uh, I'm, I think I'm better as a random um, accomplice here and there in a podcast rather than actually doing my own. Fair enough. But who knows? If, if somebody out there believes in me and they want to they throw throw a paycheck that I'll, I'll end up putting to my kids' education. Let's go for it. <laughs> uh, I have a, I have a ni- name idea. I saw your, your header on Twitter. It's Rob Stone Light. If you can just get maybe the copyright, just skate around that one. Right. Keystone Light? <laughs> Rob Stone Light is not a not I a love that. Up. I love that. That's a Keystone Light beer box, right? That uh, Hartford athletic fan, I think covered up and just put Rob. Uh, and I'm like, that is so 
stupidly brilliant. I just love it. Um, I love I love crappy beer, and I love people being creative in the soccer venue. So, so I stole it from him. Right. Uh, do you have time for us for one more story? Sure. Uh, you've covered how many World Cups? Jeez, uh, I don't know. Um, men's and women's um, three, four, five. I, I would say nine-ish, ten-ish. I'm sorry. That, that, I hope that doesn't come off arrogant. I just I lose track. It's it's a lot. Men's and women's. It's yeah, a, it's a really it's a really healthy number and a number I'm beyond proud of. You do two every every four years with you know fifteen four or. 14, 15, 18, 19. Can you give us your best World Cup story from either the men's or women's with, you know, whether it be traveling or just adventuring in a city, something happened on set? Because we've had, you know, obviously Alexi and, and like I said, John Strong give us theirs. So I feel like we had to complete the trifecta of, of World Cup stories. Uh, well, Rook, give me, the, give me the Cliff Notes version of what Alexi's and John's favorite story was. So... John was in Russia and he wanted coffee with two uh, two pumps of espresso, and they ended up giving him two coffees at this Russian coffee shop in St. Petersburg. Uh, okay, and that was I'm, his best story. All right, I, I expected a little bit more from him. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's probably the PG version of some of the stuff him yeah, and Stu got true. into. Uh, what was Alexi's? <laughs> Alexi was uh, his favorite one as a player was obviously playing in his hometown uh, of Detroit. Uh, in the 1994 uh, World Cup, yeah, you know, at yeah, the Silver Dome, the win, the win over Switzerland, and then he um, he gave the 20, I think he gave a 2018 story of him in in Russia. Yeah, we've got a lot of things in Russia that we could we could talk about for sure. Um, this is a PG 13 show, so feel free yeah, to let yeah, it fly. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. All my <laughs> stories are all my stories are are, are really clean. Um, boy, there's there's so many just bizarro Russia stories between the travel and the miscommunications and things. But I, when, when a world cup is, is brought up to me, kind of two things come up through my career. And, and the first one is just how far America's coverage has come in regards to world cup. I, I worked uh, for ABC and ESPN, the 1998 world cup in France. And, and I saw that as kind of the first real, real world cup that that was worked in in a modern day era in american television um on the road you know obviously there was the 94 world cup in in the united states and the 99 women's world cup in the u.s but that was you know home field advantage that was easy this was going on the road and chasing these stories and and just reflecting back on that summer in in paris how beautiful it was and and what an opportunity it was but also just how bare-boned it was and how kind of little content we actually put out there compared to what is happening right now. And, and to, and I look back every world cup and reflect back on what went down in 98 and where we are now. And it's just, it's just mammoth. You know, it gives me so much pride to see how much this sport and how much that, that entity has grown in the United States in a pretty short time. Um, I reflect back on the 2002 world cup, Korea, uh, Japan, and I was doing studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, you know, that to me was was the massive breakout World Cup for the men's national team in soccer in our country. And, uh, you know, I, our, our bosses at the time and in programming, I don't think they had a lot of belief in in what was going to 
be provided by that World Cup because of the huge time difference. You know, we were living on Korea, Japan time in Charlotte, North Carolina, and doing our studio at ungodly hours. And and nobody expected anybody's going to watch these games, but that was the tournament where so much video from random locations around our country came out of people gathering to watch these games, whether it was in the darkness of a, of a, you know, a bar in Omaha, I'm sorry, Lincoln, Nebraska, people in their basements, still in their PJs, drinking coffee with a couple people and going bonkers, you know, when the U S upset Portugal, that was that moment where I think a lot of people, whether it was, you know, on Madison Avenue or in Bristol, Connecticut or in Los Angeles said, wow, people are watching this at this hour. Like, really, this is, this is happening. This is completely unexpected. And that was that huge shift to me and, and to be a part of that and witness it, that people really did care and they didn't care what damn time they had to get up for it. And then the, the last one is our, our first World Cup presentation for Fox Sports when we did the Women's World Cup from Canada. And we took it on the road to Vancouver and we went all out. And, and I reflect back on that summer because – that was a real us versus them type moment. Um, that was the first World Cup that Fox had after we won the contract from ESPN and ABC. And ESPN and ABC had done just such a phenomenal job to elevate that product and the care level um, across so many platforms. And there were people out there, and I've said this before, that had their stories written, had their knives out, had their darts. They were ready to slash us. They were ready to just cut us at the knee and critique the hell out of our broadcast. And if you remember, this is when um, all the nonsense with Sepp Blatter went down on like no notice. And we had to pivot, literally run out of a conference room down, you know, I forget what it was, probably half a mile from our hotel to our studio that was still under construction outside. It was not yet signed off to go on television. And we went live standing on plywood with our with our studio still under construction in our background and, you know, microphone cables in the mud, having to report what was going on. And from that moment, which wasn't even our day one, right? That wasn't even our rehearsal day. We kicked ass and we shut up all of our critics and they all just, they just, they couldn't come at us. And we completely disarmed them in a, in a peaceful, you know, MLK type way. And, and we just kept it going. And when that tournament was over, and obviously, you know, the U.S. women and the, the, the rocket ship television numbers that we had, you know, I just remember sitting in our conference room, and it was just Alexi and I for this one brief moment. And it was, you know, a clink of a can of Canadian beer and a hug and this moment of just this quiet pride uh, that we did it, you know, and, and we did it. And, and we didn't lose, and we did our company proud. We did ourselves proud. Uh, we were so proud of what the women were able to achieve. And, and for me, that will always probably be that World Cup moment, that whole, that whole stretch in Canada, and then just this, this huge exhale of relief of, holy <laughs> we did it, and we nailed it. And you know when you nail it, and we nailed it. And, and you, know, you can probably hear my, my voice crack and soften right now, but it's... It was that one moment, still probably the proudest moment in my broadcasting career. I think it's important to note that the two World Cups that you mentioned, the U.S. men finished in the quarterfinals, and the U.S. women won it. 
So not only was Fox and ESPN at those two respective World Cups happy, America was happy, and Rob Stone was happy, and it sounds yeah. Like, you can just hear the emotion coming through your voice on both of those moments. When yeah. You would, when, when Rob Stone is happy, the nation is usually happy. <laughs> I think that's we can just kind of go with that that theme. <laughs> uh, that's incredible, Rob. I, look, I thank you so much for your time. You, you've been very kind to me over the years. Uh, we cannot let you go without going through the lightning round. Five to seven random questions. Uh, you answered in 10 seconds or less. Oh, boy. All right. Should have had a second cup of coffee. All right, let's go. <laughs> cake or pie? Uh, oh, great one. I love cake. I'm a huge cake lover. I get fired up about uh, birthday cakes, but... Man, key lime pie will go toe to toe with a good birthday cake. How about that? I'm a pie guy, so okay. I mean, I'm, I lean towards uh, lemon ice box pie or chocolate mm. pie. I don't turn down desserts unless there's coconut on it. How about that? <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Uh, it used to be. I grew into loving Halloween when my kids were born. And the joy and the fun and the stupidity of getting in, in costumes. So I really liked Halloween, and I'm super sad because Halloween just won't be the same uh, this year. Um, yeah, probably Halloween um, and, and Christmas a close second. Day of recording, October 29th, 2020. You, right. A couple days right. away. It's your time to shine. <laughs> I need an outfit. Bad. Stat. <laughs> uh, what's your most favorite smell in the world? Um, wow. Uh, really good. These are good questions. Lemon, uh, a lemongrass, like a proper lemongrass that has been like thrown in a steam room or a sauna. That makes me happy. Okay. That's, that's going deep. That's going deep. You weren't expecting that, that, uh, half naked sauna, uh, steam room image layer to go with the best smell, were you? I was not. That is a very unique answer, and I'm a little bit thrown off now. So it's yeah, that's all right. <laughs> uh, what three famous people, living or dead, would you invite to a dinner party? Uh, Will Ferrell, Pele, uh, maybe Bono. Maybe Bono. I don't know where we're at on the five to seven, so we'll give you two more. Just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of sandwich? Um, it's either roast beef, lettuce, tomato, mayo on rye, or a proper turkey club sandwich that you've got to stretch your mouth to the max to try and shove it in, and then it goes all over the place. Those are two very specific sandwiches. Yep. I'm a fan. Hey, go with what you know. That's Last right. but not least, this is a Rob Stone specific question. Was winning the WWE 24-7 champion belt the greatest moment of your life? It was a really good moment. <laughs> it was a really, really good moment. And I'm super annoyed at myself that I don't have the proper picture <laughs> in a frame and posted like above my my uh, mantle. It's It's not even in my house. But it's it's so big in my like my phone deck memory of pictures, um, and you know what? That's what I'm asking for for Christmas this year: a proper twenty four seven picture with me in the belt. Uh, it's a great one. I don't know if you saw this week homage H O M A G E that great T shirt company based in um, Columbus, Ohio. They came out with a, a T shirt that you can actually buy online, um, and it's it's one of me in a in a wrestling outfit. 
and ripped to the bejesus <laughs> with the belt over my head and my wrestling nickname, which my buddy in uh, Houston, Texas, Sean Pendergast, who does talk radio, uh, talk sports radio there, he labeled me back in like sixth grade, Rawbone Rob Stone. That was my wrestling nickname, Rawbone Rob Stone. Um, there used to be a wrestler called Sweet Hanson, whose nickname was Rawbone. So they have a Rawbone Rob Stone wrestling T-shirt that is for sale. Uh, and a proceed goes to charity, and it is the the stupidest, most glorious thing I've ever seen in my life. Over under ten and a half. How many did you buy? Uh, I, I haven't bought any. They handed me uh, a pack of about ten, and I have <laughs> three left because I've I've given them given. I've, it's one of those things where like, if I'm giving this to you, you better wear it. And I gave Alexi yesterday an Alex, an, X, an XL, and he's like. Oh, this is so awesome! <laughs> Tomorrow, I can't wait. And I was like, "Thank you, my friend. That's that's why you deserved a T-shirt." Um, others, others, not as worthy. But Matt Liner, he's got a T-shirt. He was wearing it this week, working out already. So, um, more to come. I'll tell you that. More to come. Oh man, you live a ridiculous life, Rob Stone. We thank you so much, man. Where can people find you on the internet? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Go find it on my Wikipedia page, right? <laughs> oh man that's that's fantastic we thank you so much for your time um for rob stone i'm riley james if anyone cares